Hey, Nicole. Hi, John. Ready? Let's do it. All right. I'm Nicole Mears. I'm John Davis. And this is our podcast, Shape the Conversation. And this week is part two of my conversation with Michael Lalonde, CEO of Deschutes Brewery. Really fun, like we got to talk a little bit about last week to bring Michael into the Shape studio and pick his brain on a lot of things. And part two, I think, really stands out because we were able to drill in on how Deschutes views marketing in a really complicated world of craft beer where attribution is almost impossible sometimes. I'm looking forward to it. All right. So let's just get right into it. What do you think? Sounds good. All right. Roll part two of conversation with Michael and hope you enjoy it. I believe that when an individual works for a company and they can have an impact on that company, they are much happier. Because when I worked at Arthur Anderson, I didn't do anything meaningful. I, I, you know, I, I was an auditor. You know, and auditors would review the books and make sure they're right. I didn't think it really mattered. And I, and, and I couldn't have an influence on an organization that large. So what we focus on at Deschutes is day one when somebody comes in the company, we say, we want you to come to work and figure out how to do your job better and figure out how your department can get better and give us feedback on how we can be better as an overall company. So we've created things like a fund where anybody could submit an idea and if it costs less than $5,000, the CFO and I just sit down and approve it within two days. Mm -hmm. So they can have that impact all the time. There's a number of committees that they can join, sustainability committee. We have a beer leaders team, which is like cheerleaders, Mm -hmm. you know, that rally the troops. We have a culture group that gets together and talks about our culture and how we can improve it and how we can bring you know, places like Portland to, you know, together with the rest of the company so they feel like a part of it. So we have a number of opportunities for everybody to really be involved and have an impact. And I think that really matters to people. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we listen to what they have to say. A lot of people don't ask and they don't hear what all their co-owners are saying. We do. It's hard. But we also respond to it. Mm-hmm. And you have, when somebody makes a comment, you have to respond to it. And, yeah. and that's hard to do with 571 people, but, <laughs> yeah. and, and we don't do it perfectly, but, but we try. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so it, it is interesting how much it does kind of parallel what you did see when you were working for the tribe, and I could see, as you said, you look to grow that employee ownership program. You said about 8% of the company now is employee-owned. Pushing that to 10 12 14%. Part of the risk I could see there is that that's less cash flow for leadership to may aggressively expand or, or take big chances out there and, and balancing you know what gets put out to employees and what is shared with the current pool versus expansion and pushing forward. I'm thinking there's had to be a lot of conversations over the years that Deschutes about like, hey, we're big, we're doing great business. Why don't we just keep doing it? You know, but you guys are looking to push to the East Coast. You've been constantly looking to expand those distribution lines. What do you think is at the heart of that wanting to keep growing and and pushing outwards as opposed to 
kind of staying as is or reaching some kind of status quo. 570 employees is, is an incredible large organization, but I have to imagine you when you guys sit around and make goals, you're not thinking, all right, how do we make the exact same amount of sales as last year? Or how do we push the same amount of barrels? You're thinking, how do we find that new frontier, that next step? Does that come, you think, still from what was instilled in those early years? Well, like I said earlier, we have a lot of financial discipline. We compare ourselves to other craft brewers out there in the marketplace. So we know, you know, what ratios they hit, whether it's gross margin percentage, we know where we're at. So we make sure we're in line or better than the average craft brewery out there that's, you know, our size. But the the fundamental fact in the beer world is the price of beer does not increase as fast as the materials you need to produce it. So you have a sales price at a grocery store that has historically increased by, you know, one and a half to three percent per year. But you have ingredients like hops, malt, mm-hmm. right, healthcare costs, they're increasing much more rapidly. So if you don't grow, then your bottom line is going to be eaten up before too long. So it's 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 true. If you don't grow, you die. Hmm. in the beer business. So you have to have that philosophy of how you can add gross margin in a tough world where prices aren't going to go up that much. Hmm. Interesting. And I think one of those ways, though, you can kind of bridge that divide or or continue to push your margins up is brand and marketing. Selfishly, as a marketer, really curious in how you think, how Deschutes thinks about marketing now. Is it different from kind of like the pre-digital age in the 90s or is it kind of a lot of the same core principles i remember you know bravely done was a big brand and push for a while um how does deschutes think about marketing how do you balance all the digital platforms out there for such a well-known kind of consumer brand like you guys you guys could do everything how do you decide what to do and not to do? Well, you can't, you can't do everything. Yeah. <laughs> we just don't have a, the budget to do it. And it's changed dramatically. I think the biggest thing that has changed in the world of marketing over the past few years is we used to be able to go and go to focus groups or some kind of survey platform and find out how the consumer would behave. And you could rely on that type of information and really know your approach to marketing and whether it would be successful. Nowadays, the consumer doesn't really behave like they say they were going to behave. Hmm. So when we do focus groups and feedback and we pursue that line, that it doesn't always work. And it's really a confusing time for people in the world of marketing is that they can do no test in advance to find out whether their marketing ideas will actually work. But we do, we spend a lot of time in digital. I mean, that's what everybody's doing right now. Everybody's looking at their phone all the time. So we spend a lot of time on that. Um, Snapchat, you know, Facebook, all those different platforms. And then we work really closely with other people within our organization to tell the stories of who we are. Hmm. So we have a lot of videos about who we are, what we do, how we approach stuff, have a lot of fun. 
Our brewers are great at giving videos about the beers they're making and can do a lot of fun things there. So we really now focus on who we are and just try to display that to everybody we have a chance to come in contact with. What KPIs are you using or or what indicators, process do you use to make marketing decisions when you're going through that strategic planning process? How big of a topic is marketing in such a capital intensive business? It's probably not as big of a percentage as revenue as, as some of the others you might see, but what do you guys actually use to be to either kill a marketing effort that maybe you were putting energy into or take on a new program or channel? We look at awareness in different regions of the company, whether people know us, whether they think that we are a brewery that they can trust. So we, we do a lot of surveys. We look at net promoter score. We also look at purchase frequency per household. That's purchase a big, frequency per, per household. household. Okay. That's a cool stat. I that like is a that cool stat. stat. So that's something that if we increase it by 10%, it would be a huge impact on our business. So yeah. we monitor those statistics every year. Interesting. And then, so the marketing team is, is reporting those back up to management constantly. And cause you guys are able to tie those directly to sales and revenue numbers or your barrel stat. And I think that's an important thing that you guys probably go through with this strategic um, decision is finding how everything aligns into that barrel statistic, I'm guessing. And as former CFO kind of numbers guy, I imagine you, do you think that that's something that you strive for as a company? Are you constantly thinking of that one KPI? Or do you think those KPIs kind of naturally develop in the different organizations? And as long as you're keeping tabs on all those and you know they're feeding that, you're comfortable with that? The, the struggle that I've always had with marketing is that it is so hard to see the ROI. Yeah. It's, it's really hard to identify it. And we've done that in a number of Especially because you, you can't sell beer online. You can't track a purchase online. There, you, you're the ultimate use case for difficulty in tracking. As a digital marketer, when I think about like how I would pitch to shoots you know, to run the digital campaigns, that one stresses me out for sure for that exact reason because you, can't, you guys can't close that loop. It's hard to see it, it, very much so. We used to do something called Street Pub, and we, we continue to do it every once in a while. And that is a 400-foot bar yeah. that has 40-plus tap handles. We do ever seen it. food. We do all kinds of bands. Uh, it's family-friendly. We raise a lot of money for not-for-profits. And we had those street pubs all around the country. We did it in, I think, something like 20 different cities. Mm. So measuring the impact of that one day event and we tried to measure it with bars around where we had that event and the city overall and whether barrel growth was good or bad or did it change at all was very very hard to determine totally yes so that's something that we decided we can't continue to do at, at all those different locations because we couldn't see the roi you know we'll do different magazine ads full page ads in outside magazine yeah and it we get the idea of how many impressions it is right that's yeah. the metrics yeah, that, yeah. that marketing uses but whether it drives beer sales or not it's it's disconnected hmm. so the old famous quote 50 percent yeah. of our marketing dollars are effective <laughs> but we don't know which one is true yeah it's hard to see it 
Are you guys looking to close that gap at all? Or do you think you've kind of made peace with the fact that you're maybe going to never have those hard numbers and trust your marketing teams in some way and, and trust marketing in general, you know, have faith, I guess, that putting this energy and money into it when you can't really show the ROI is, is something you guys should continue to do. Yeah, we look at other other breweries and how much money they put in marketing and we try to target about that same amount. There's a tremendous amount of trust that you do have to have in your team to go forward and really drive the needle. But we're dialing in how we measure the success of marketing all the time. We're getting better and better. It's not perfect. I don't know if it'll ever be. And, and when I talk to other businesses, that they're in the same boat, is that they know that marketing is important. They know that kind of spend is important for awareness and to communicate the values of your organization. And, and consumers do care about the values that, that a company has. So we do think that's important. We'll continue to spend it. And hopefully the measurements will always get better and better. Yeah. And I think marketing for you guys and craft brewing is getting even harder as more and more people enter the craft brewing space. Telling your unique story in a market where everybody kind of has some kind of unique or cool upstart story and I imagine is one of the biggest things you guys are pushing up against as you're pushing into new markets or whatever is local craft breweries that are popping up and kind of the, the natural inclination for somebody to want to drink a beer that they knew were was brewed and is the brew pub locally downtown kind of one of the initial things you guys were able to piggyback and also do yourselves do you think you're battling against like the next Deschutes in every new market well there's seven thousand breweries in the u.s now there's one in every congressional district when you go into a bar what i'll often hear is what is your local ipa mm -hmm. there's no there's no brand that they're, a lot of people are looking for anymore. They're just looking for the local IPA. So it is a continuous battle. But I have seen times where, and I've done it myself, where I go into a bar and I'm, I look at a tap handle I haven't seen before, give me a taste of that, and it's not great. That, yeah. do, that does happen totally. at times. So I think when people see that not every beer is great and you really have to trust breweries that you know, then I think there will be somewhat of a change, but it's not happening right now. People are drinking what, whatever is new, different, local, and that is a continuous kind of fight. But we've always felt that as craft brewers grow, you know, and we're doing it well, then it will lift all of our yeah. boats. So, you know, we try to help out everybody in the craft brewery space, have a great relationship. If, if we go on tours, everybody is open with us about what they're doing as a, a brewery. Larger breweries have helped us out over the years. We try to help other people out and really make sure that the whole craft beer scene is good, quality is good, and that we continue to grow. Because our competition is not with other craft brewers it's with the other 85 percent of the market which is the big conglomerate breweries out there interesting that now can appear like little small craft breweries when they're really not and they have resources from you mean appear as small craft breweries because they're going around buying up all these local brands when when somebody goes in the bar and they ask hey give me your local ipa they, they are feeding that 85%, whether they kind of know it or not. They are smart people, and they have gone out and they've purchased a lot of 
small craft breweries and, and they are leveraging those in every way. I mean, to find 10 barrel in Georgia is amazing, but yeah. you know, that they get distribution because, you know, they have a huge distribution. Network. Yeah. 10 barrel, another local brewery here to bend that was purchased by InBev, Anheuser-Busch and really spread their distribution. I think that, that, is the other storyline with microbreweries, I, I would think, over the last few years. One, the massive growth. Two, all the mergers, acquisitions that have occurred in the market. I don't proclaim to know the industry you know, super in-depth, but to my knowledge, Deschutes has never purchased a smaller brand name. You know, Obviously, remain independent to this day, one of the largest micro independent microbreweries in, in the nation. And... How have you viewed that? You know, one of the ways you guys could have spread growth, especially during cash, you know, rich periods, was to buy up other brands. Why? I have to imagine that strategy was talked about. Why? Why go a different direction? Like I've said, we've always felt like, well, if we can improve what we do every day and have brands that resonate with the consumer, then we'll we'll continue to grow and we really don't need to do that. We've looked at a number of acquisitions in the past and those didn't make any sense to us. Whether we do it in the future or not, you know, if we find another brewery that does make sense, I think we would do something like that, no doubt about it. But we've never... Gary's never approached our business like, let's build it up to sell or anything like that. He's been more, you know, let's grow as a company. Let's get better all the time. You know, how can you not love what we're doing, right? Yeah. <laughs> we're a craft brewer where yeah. you can sit around and drink beer and, and work with a lot of great people. And, and that's made the most sense. But I think at, at some point we could see a brewery and, and decide to, to buy somebody else. You do have a lot of advantages running a craft brewery and being able to make that pitch in the job interview. And if anybody sees a job listing for Deschutes, you know, everybody's ears perks up and kind of looks. And I've worked at startups with incredible perks and kegs and what you could imagine. But what I've always found interesting is that no matter what that environment is, there's still a lot of base things that you need to provide people and answer for people. St- people still want to care about what they're doing. And year four of working at the brewery, it's it's lost a little luster, right? You can still find that passion and that love for, for the product and what you're doing, but people need to enjoy their jobs. You know, they want to feel like they're, like you said, having an impact. I, I think that is a key to anybody building a team or trying to grow a team is not to be the dictator or, or commanding down amongst the ranks. It's the only way you're going to build a sustainable company. I think if your goal is not to build and sell really quick, you re- you need people that want to continually have that impact four years from now. And that's where they're going to, what they're going to find interesting. You know, a lot of our co-owners, they come to work every day, whether they're working at, at the pubs or at our main brewery or even out in the sales force is you run into people all the time that are excited that you're with the Shoots Brewery. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how many times I've actually introduced myself and say I'm with the Shoots Brewery and they're like, oh my God, I love you guys. And, and we have a lot of our co-owners who also go out and do events in the marketplace and they see that all the time. But every day we have tours come through the brewery and people are so excited to be at Deschutes and see what we're doing. So it, it really generates that enthusiasm internally too. It's like, 
you know, they think we're we're basically rock stars, yeah. you know, when they come on the tour and it's a lot of fun or we're we're sitting tasting beer on a Tuesday afternoon and there's, you know, ten different beers in front of us and a, a tour goes by and they're like snapping pictures of us, you know, and I'll often like wipe the sweat off my brow, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. like it's really a hard job to do. So it, it's a lot of fun I, and people yeah. enjoy it. I mean, it's a brand that is loved and, and known and you guys have lived by your virtues and you took over the CEO job 2017 for, you know, we've mentioned Gary's name many times, Gary Fish well known for you know being the guy that was serving his beer and and behind the pub at Deschutes Brewery in the early 80s when it got started taking over for a guy like that I imagine you were doing a lot of the roles before you were you know officially named CEO but when you show up to work that day and you do have the CEO tag next to your name talk to me through those first few months you know you've obviously been in the room with a lot of these people they trust you but did you find there was still a change that next day when you were the guy? Well, a lot of it changed back in 2010. Gary came in my office one day and he said, my, old, my youngest daughter is graduating from high school and she's going off to college and I want to be able to go around and travel and do some stuff. So I want you to take on all of my direct reports. Mm-hmm. That, that was a big responsibility. And, and at that point, there was a lot of opportunity to change the team. And the, it's true, you have to have the right people on the bus to do what you want to do. So I, was, I changed the team quite a bit. And so we had a great team when Gary um, gave me the CEO title about a year ago. But I, I have to admit, there's a lot more weight on my shoulder when that happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, you know, I was the guy, now that we, when we do the presentations over at the Tower Theater, you know, I'm the, I'm the guy. And I, I am the one that people look to to provide the leadership. But Gary has been a great mentor for me. He has the ability to continually challenge thought, to always make it better. He can be a contrarian to the extreme. He will disagree with anything that's brought up just to figure out a way to make the idea a better one. To the point where he has disagreed with himself and has like an internal debate about <laughs> about whether the decision's a good one or not. We always talk about all the time, like, uh, at what point is being the devil's advocate stop being productive? <laughs> yeah, right. That's very true. So, I mean, that's helped me a lot to be just a totally a, a critical thinker, but to have a great team around and to continually work with the ideas generated by that team has made me feel a lot better in the role that I am right now. So, it, but there is a lot of pressure. There's, there's a lot more pressure. Every time we don't do something right, it's my fault. And I feel that way. When we do something right, it's the team that did it right. You know, I, I can't take the credit for that because they're really the ones that are experts. I'm not the smartest guy in the room most of the time. Uh, there's other people that we have hired in the company that are 10 times more talented, better at what I used to do than me. And they're pretty incredible and there's something I'm really proud of. If I can say that I've had an impact on the organization is really the team that has improved it quite a bit because of, of my leadership. You talked about your direct reports. How often are you communicating them? Is it weekly meetings, monthly meetings? 
what kind of cadence do you use with your direct reports? I typically do one-on-ones for about an hour every two weeks Okay. with all of my direct reports. But I also meet with some of their direct reports because I think it's important that I am aware of who they are, what they need to work on, how they're developing, how's their morale, so that, that I can continue to improve them. Because succession planning is very, very important. We need to set up the next generation of leaders now so that if anybody leaves or retires within the company, that we have the expertise to go and take over those responsibilities seamlessly. Are you communicating that to people within the organization that you kind of foresee on that management track? Like, would I know if I'm at Bennett Deschutes two years that kind of you know, you're looking at me to maybe take one of those direct reports. Is it, is it verbalized to the point so I can start owning that and, and doing things to prepare? We actually sit down and talk about what additional skills that people have to develop, whether it's education or exposure to some responsibility that they haven't had before or in anything like that. Maybe they need to go to another company and learn how they do product development or you know it could be a variety of different things entirely another company yeah i think you can learn from just about any company out there we have a great relationship with an awesome company cliff bar and so we we can learn from them and and they can learn from us and 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 i think that's really important just to see your business from a different lens Hmm. that you can bring in some really good fresh ideas that way we've done some collaborations with different chocolate companies because they make some incredible different flavors. Moonstruck Chocolates is where we did a collaboration and they did actually Black Butte Porter chocolates with us. But we went and saw how they approached their product development and the different flavor combinations that they created in their chocolates and it was a great learning experience. We spent a lot of time with Hum Kombucha also learning how they do different things and we did a collaboration with them. So I think a, a different perspective is always important. You, we can learn a lot from other people. So you talk about seeing your company through an entirely new lens by even going to work at a different company and think about that. I think another a way that I kind of get a, a lens on what I'm trying to do or whatever is listen to podcasts, read a lot of blog posts. I know you like podcasts. Do you use podcasts as just an escape? Do you use it as a additional learning source? Do you have any favorites that you listen to? How do they kind of fit into your life and your process? I love to, to listen to podcasts. I'm a, I walk my dog every day. Okay, perfect. So that's something perfect. Mine's timing. mostly uh, washing dishes. Cooking <laughs> washing is my dishes. podcast. Yeah. Yeah. So when I walk my dog, I'll listen to a podcast right now. Um, I'm listening to how I built this, okay, which is a podcast about individuals that built companies and who are entrepreneurs and they talk about their successes and their struggles. And, and we, I can learn a lot about that. I mean, to hear somebody, I mentioned Cliff Bar earlier, their CEO or founder talk about you know, how he grew the company and how he was about to sell it and how he decided to walk away from a huge offer and and all the different ways that they kind of perceive their business and and how they improved it and the mistakes they made, I think is very inspirational. Cool. One you might like on that, in that same vein, is Reid Hoffman, who's one of the co-founders of PayPal and LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. He has one called Masters of Scale. Okay. And it's very similar to that. Maybe check out. And I need to do that. I cool. will. Well, you've been so generous with your time for our podcast today. 
thanks so much. You gave so much stuff for our listeners and, and people to kind of really dig into and shed a lot of light on, you know, one of the brands that really does make Bend what it is and has been a huge force in micro brewing. And thanks so much for being here today. Thanks, John. I, I appreciate it. I enjoyed it too. Great interview, John. That was a really fun one just to sit back and listen with a cold one. Oh, is that number two, three? It's number one. Okay. I said in the first episode that I was going to enjoy the second one with a cold one. Fair enough. Leave me alone. Fair enough. Sorry, sorry, sorry. No, but I thought there were some great takeaways. You know, I really liked the way that he talked about, unfortunately, how marketing metrics are still disconnected, even for, you know, a much more physical product like beer. They're still dealing with a lot of the same problems measuring their digital engagement that the rest of us are. Yeah, they're definitely facing massive challenges being in an industry where offline sales are so prevalent and you've got these crazy metrics like purchase frequency per household like he talked about but i thought it was interesting how they don't just look at kpis and also hone in on really the mission and the values and the what behind the marketing to get the team focusing on that and monitoring a lot of the other things but not being kind of like a slave to the kpis absolutely and it was really in kind of a fun point for me and this doesn't really i mean he was talking about it in the the realm of succession planning, but I think it actually applies in the same way to what you're talking about is they'll be talking to an employee and succession planning for, you know, Michael's direct reports, and they'll have that person identify needs. So, hey, you need to go study product management under another company even. Um, And so how they had, you know, collaborations with Cliff Bar and Hum Kombucha and Moonstruck Chocolate and how they'd go have them learn from them. That was a really interesting thing to me. And I think it applies to the marketing conversation in, in taking a step back and not saying we are so focused on beer marketing, right? How can we do this better from a product standpoint, from a product marketing standpoint, you know, and so on. Yeah. I mean, how many companies are sending their employees to other companies for long stretches of time to work just for the purpose of learning? That's pretty unique. Absolutely. And I think it's just another indicator of what Deschutes is and what's made Deschutes what it is. This focus on the future and improving their internal systems in a way that makes them even more sustainable today than they were the day before. And that goes for the people too, the technology, the products, constantly be innovating. It's crazy to think about the challenges that they face moving massive amounts of products across the US. But I think interesting to see how even at that scale, 570 co-owners, as they call them, they're still trying to think on an individual basis. And they realize the importance of nurturing every single individual that contributes to that effort going forward. Absolutely. All right. Next week, Nicole gets back to work here on the podcast and we'll dig into Facebook a little bit, what they've been going through here in 2018 recently, going deep on them as a company like we did Google a few weeks ago. So check us out next week too. Be sure to rate, review, subscribe, wherever you get your podcast and wherever they let you review and rate them. Yeah. Let us know if there was something Michael said that kind of really stuck with you. You can find all of our information at blog.shape.io slash podcast. Until next time, over and out from uh, Shape HQ in Bend, Oregon. Bye guys.